Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Wadier, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Fantastic, my friend. I am excited about today's episode. I feel like I say that most episodes, um, but <laughs> the um, conversation today just came from a Q&A call that we did with some of our continuity members, and it just mm. brought about some really cool talking points and some long-term sustainability conversations, and then we went and found some research articles to back up what we're seeing and clear up, clear the air, so to speak. So we're going to bring that to you yeah. guys today because we thought it was extremely valuable and it talks about a couple of the you know, main threads in the fitness and dieting landscape when it comes to protein and working out. So we're going to unpack it because my goodness, when you dive into this, it is all over the map. Yeah, arrows pointing in all different directions, which is exactly what I was feeling like whenever I was exercising mostly to lose the weight, you know, and uh, I, I felt like the results weren't heading in the right direction for me, but I wasn't sure why. So I kept chasing more and more and more data. And um, yeah, I want to I, I definitely want to get into why that might be the case, um, because I, I, I think a lot of people feel that frustration. I want you to expand a little bit more on kind of what you did and the, the arrows and directions you went with the meals and the timing and the working out in just a second. But I want to welcome mm -hmm. all the new listeners. Um, welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. I'm Dr. Scott. You can, you can hear Tommy here through my yep. screen. It's an audio medium, so I'm moving my hand, but that does nothing for you. <laughs> if you're new, go back and listen to episode 100. Uh, we did a little reset for the Centennial episode where we highlighted some of the most impactful episodes and the episodes that have the most downloads and most feedback from the first 100, what breaks a fast, how to lose 30 pounds, you know, with fasting, et cetera. You can go all the way back to the beginning and listen to episode one and two where Tommy and I tell our story as to how we ended up here um, so mm -hmm. welcome. And then for you long-term listeners, just a shout out of love and appreciation. Um, keep those five-star reviews coming in. Those are our favorite kind. We also like mm -hmm. honest feedback as well. But if you've been with us for a while, shout out to you as well. Um, we'll go over, if you're new, we go over an action step at the end of every episode. And we kind of bob and weave in between some more um, nuanced lifestyle application. We talk about different fasting types. We break down research and science. We really just try to make it digestible, fun, actionable. I tell a lot of bad jokes, ramble sometimes. <laughs> Tommy lands the plane, so you'll get to know us as we go. But today's conversation, Tommy, and you already started kind of unpack it, is um, we're going to research a few different uh, reference a few different articles here. But your journey in kind of trying to figure this out, and on today's Q and A call, there were a couple of questions that really uncovered. The, the fact that we are operating outside of the status quo in mm. getting results that most people are looking for when it comes to weight and health. Yeah, and it, it really can feel like you're swimming upstream sometimes whenever you're talking about fasting. And, and again, if you're, if you're new here, 
there's a reason why we say the first two rules of fasting are don't talk about fasting because it uh, it really can be a little uncomfortable for for other folks around who aren't very familiar with fasting or maybe they're they don't know why you would want to do that they might go well I've never heard of that that sounds that sounds like too much that sounds dangerous that sounds insert X Y Z here and when we look at at some of the um, the research behind you know, getting the the weight off and actually exercising and and constructing a healthy long term lifestyle, it it can be it can be really tough if you're in the middle of you know trying to do that. You're you're eating right. You're tracking your food. Maybe you're tracking your macros. Maybe you're eating multiple times a day. You're meal prepping, meal prepping, and then you're and you're going to the gym. You're working out. You're 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 vigilant about all of these things, but you're still not seeing the scale move. You're still not seeing. The, the blood work get under control and and ultimately those are your main goals that's where i was for a yep. long time for decades yeah same here so am i getting enough protein when should i work out should i do fasted mm-hmm. versus fed well guess what those are two uh-huh. of the exact topics that we're going to be talking about today so i appreciate that perspective tommy because i mean it was true it was like all right i'll just get on the elliptical you know at 5 a.m and do some more burn some more calories right yeah and it didn't get results for me. And then, you know, when we come, we talk about fasting and the power that it has to decrease your intake, but also the other additional benefits where you're going to, we'll unpack a little bit today, but you're going to be able to regain control through the simplicity of removing all of those different arrows going in different directions. So right. um, that's how it regained my health. That's how it turned my life around. Tommy, I know the same for you. And then for yeah. thousands of other people that have kind of joined us on this journey. So the first question came in really about working out, and it was a question about monitoring blood sugar before and after exercise. And this person's leveling up their their health journey with knowing insulin resistance and blood glucose and and those types of things. And they were talking about LLIT or low intensity interval training versus HIIT. And she was wondering about, you know, is uh, if she found that LLIT before or after a meal didn't spike blood sugar as much. Mm-hmm. And HIIT spiked it much more. And it kind of was like, wow, what do I do? Um, yeah. I'm not, she's not a diabetic. She started with a healthy blood glucose, but she worked out. And the question really was, was what would be more effective and sustainable keyword for fat loss? And she's like, well, is it better to do HIIT earlier in the day than later? Does blood glucose spike matter? Does it really matter at all? Since three hours after my HIIT workout, it was still higher than before I started. And not sure it affects sleep. And it just kind of kept going. And we're like, you know what? There's some really good stuff in here. The sustainability piece for fat loss, we're going to unpack in just a second. But um, the answer to this question, and we can start to reverse engineer Tommy, is the answer to, to her was, it doesn't matter. What matters is that, and at first, I don't think it was well received before we unpacked (laughs) it. What is more sustainable for you? And what do you enjoy for the long-term wins the long-term sustainability yeah because when when we're looking at what should i do we're getting into the nuance of like your exercise timing your your actual schedule which type of exercise is best all of these kind of things there's there's a couple of parts of the equation one is is there is there information is there good data on what's going to be the most effective towards the goals that you're looking for but then the other piece of the puzzle is do those differentiators, are they substantial enough to matter when you strongly prefer one of them over the other? 
because what's going to get you up in the morning? What's going to get you to the gym on a consistent basis today, tomorrow, the next day, not just fighting upstream, like, like clawing your way through it for the next 30 or 60 days before you go, ah, never mind. I don't want to be doing this versus doing something that you actually enjoy doing and you can see yourself doing it long term. Like that's usually where the magic is going to happen, going towards what you're going to be able to do long term, because the, because then you can start to put it into your actual maintenance plan. And it, it doesn't just have to be the temporary thing that I did to get the weight off. It can be I love this and this is my lifestyle. Right. And that's why. So she was getting really granular with the, the, the questions about blood sugar. Yes. After an HIIT workout, your blood sugar is going to raise. But it also yeah. raises and, and falls throughout your circadian rhythm throughout the day, which is why I loved her question about sleep. So, there, you know, there are studies that show that if you get out in the morning and you see the, the dawn light and you work out outside in that dawn light, that you'll have a substantial increase in your fat burn for the rest of the day. Mm. But maybe not if you're doing a low, like maybe if you're fasted or not fasted. So I love that layer of it, too. So we prioritize sleep for her do what works for you. So for me, getting up at 5 a.m., like you said, Tommy, and working out, I hate it. My body doesn't like it. My mental state doesn't like it. I'm tired yeah. after. And then I, I'm, I just don't feel great until about midday. I prefer to work out during my lull, right? That 12 mm-hmm. to 2 time for me where I tend to have an energy depletion because my Monday, my mornings are so busy. I prefer to work out then. And if I work out late at night, I'm not going to go to bed. So Again, to that sustainability, what do you like to do and why really is important. But specifically to the question of what is more effective for fat loss, there's a meta-analysis and a systemic review, which is the best case type of research that we want to see. And it's the effect of overnight fasted exercise on weight loss and body composition, a systemic review and meta-analysis. This was by uh, Daniel Hackett and Amanda Hagstrom. This came out um, October 2017. And really the takeaway of what we said to her was it doesn't matter. It is true. Doing cardio or exercise fasted versus fed, right? Yeah. And fasted cardio during the exercise, or you're going to have more fat burning, but then the rest of the sure. day, you're going to have less. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. Right. And then during a fed workout, you're going to have less burned fat burn during but then you're gonna have more burn the rest of the day because it's not, you know, the equation is the stored versus the burned fat and people wanna lose fat, they just don't wanna lose weight, right? So really, really what this showed in this meta-analysis was that the net zero effect. So what's the takeaway? Choose your own adventure. Right. That, that, that's exactly what the uh, what the bottom line is, is the the order of it doesn't really matter. And, you know, it has to do with with actually being able to tap into those long term fat stores, whether I I ate before my workout or I ate later, um, the net energy balance is going to be the, the same. So choose which one is is more comfortable, sustainable, preferable to you long term. And and, you know, to her question as well. I think it it speaks to the fact that we all undervalue sleep because sleep was almost an aside in her question. But honestly, for overall health and for the the actual effectiveness of her weight loss journey, that sleep is going to be key because we know that just a small drop in the quality or in the quantity of your sleep in the short term decreases metabolic rate. It decreases the protein synthesis. Like it's going to be harder to, to gain Increases the muscle. your insulin yeah. resistance, your right. cravings, all of the real yeah. life stuff too. 
Right. It leads to more fat storage. So prioritizing that sleep is going to be number yep. one on my on my priority list. And then number two is going to be that long term sustainability factor. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. And with this type of topic, we had another question that came in today that was related to it in the idea of a macro composition that's ideal for a fasting lifestyle or a protein mm -hmm. amount that I should be consuming. And then that opens up the question of the timing and the amount and all of these different things. So we want to unpack yeah. this a little bit too. And this question came in from someone who has lost 70 pounds. Um, wow. And Tommy, what was it over the last eight months, I believe. Yeah. And is now has a personal trainer because now he's working on the body composition when he's, he's yeah. at maintenance or, or damn near close. I want to say he's a couple of pounds or fluctuating around it, really figuring out what his new identity is at this yeah. new weight. Right. Yeah. He has and, all kinds of new power now. You yeah. Know, like, what yeah, do I do with all this? Yeah. yeah. New, new me who dis, right? Like yeah, right. <laughs> just, just incredible. And so he has a personal trainer and the trainer was, was exp uh, expressing concern over not getting enough fuel with his fasting lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And when you're at maintenance, doing an intermittent fasting window is absolutely viable, right? Yeah. And we're going to talk about some research that actually supports that. And the main macro of concern, the macronutrients are carbohydrate, protein, and fat. And you could really count alcohol as a fourth one and add in some micronutrient importance in there as well. But the main yeah. groups are those three. The concern was really in that protein because, you know, the the with fasting, there's some myths out there that you don't you're not going to get enough fuel. You're going to be your body's going to be eating the protein. Um, right. You're not yep. going to get enough in. You're going to lose your, you know, lean tissue mass and mm -hmm. and all of those different things. So really unpacking this for him, it came from the perspective of, all right, well, is it first of all, is intermittent fasting? in doing weight training like he's doing effective on body composition. And the first study that we're going to look at is uh, from Ashtari and Larky et al. in 2021. And this was looking at the effects of intermittent fasting and lifting weights. And the main takeaway, and we'll talk about the protein piece in a second, was IF, intermittent fasting, led to greater fat loss without significantly impacting changes in lean mass tissue. Nice. Right. Like mic drop. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like that's exactly what I was looking for. Hey, y'all wanted to take a second and tell you just an incredible story about an amazing company that we've come across recently. Um, and now they are a sponsor of our show. It's airdoctorpro.com. You can head to the website, use a promo code uh, fasting for life to receive up to $300 off. But most importantly, uh, my little guy, my two-year-old has not slept consistently through the night. Uh, since he was born, we have tried everything you can imagine. He is our third child. And we're just like, what is happening? So we have gone to great lengths, time, money, and effort to figure out um, how we can help him sleep. And uh, the reality is uh, we were pretty much just resigned to the fact that this is how it's going to be until we put the Air Doctor Pro in his room. And I am not joking when I tell you the first night that we put it in his room, he slept through the night. The second night, slept through the night. Now we're up to 35 plus days that he has slept through the night. He has only woken up two times, rather than two, three times a night, two times in the last 35 days and counting. And we are just so incredibly grateful. The reality is uh, we had a feeling that it was something that we were missing. And the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air these days. In some cases, up to 100 times more. We spend 90% of our time indoors. And we take 20,000 breaths a day. So what's the solution? 
an air purifier a cut above the rest. I'm not going to lie. We have tried others. We've tried other HEPA filters. We've tried other air filters. We have spent the money and they have not done the results that Air Doctor did in literally the first day that we put it in his room. They filter out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants. That includes pollutants such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mite, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. So I don't know what it was that was keeping them up, but it is now gone. So Air Doctor comes with a 30-day breathe easy money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com. Use promo code fasting for life to receive up to $300 off air purifiers. An exclusive listener um, offer for you as well. You'll receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. That's exclusive to you, the podcast listener, now hearing this in real time. Lock this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code fasting for life. You guys know that we are very particular with who we partner with. And if it wasn't for this incredible company and the incredible results that we've seen, I would not be encouraging you to head to the website and take advantage of the Fasting for Life promo code. So if you support our sponsors, you are ultimately supporting us. We are grateful for you listening in. And now back to today's episode. Can you do it? Yeah, absolutely. So just if you want to see if this works, go look at Terry Crews. Right. I think he's the right mm-hmm. guard guy or he might be the yeah. axe guy. I don't I don't remember. We don't have cable. Yeah. I, don't, I haven't seen him as one of his commercials in a while. That dude <laughs> fast and he is shredded. Right. Right. Go look yep. at Thomas DeLauer, who's big in the intermittent fasting world. That guy's yeah. biceps are bigger than my thighs. Like he <laughs> is also shredded. Right? right. And it's it's interesting that, you know, this is new research, by the way, too. This is this was out of 2021. Right. So we're not talking about a study from 1980. We're talking mm-hmm. about something that is much more commonplace, right? Which we talked about in the beginning in the opening was, yeah, we're kind of operating under the status quo. Well, fasting has actually taken on a life of its own. Yeah. It's very much more well-known and that six to eight hour eating window or that intermittent fasting, that that 16 hour, 18 hour fasting window is really sustainable for maintenance. So I just love that this study was like, all right, hi, yes, personal trainer. Yes, I know your intent and your, and your um Concern was real, but we're going to unpack what those protein numbers should look like in a minute. Um, yeah. And they do in they do in this study. They say that the baseline should be 1.6 grams per kilogram, and we'll unpack that into grams per pound here in just a second. Um, but it's not as much as you th- you're thinking, and it's not as much right. as what you'll hear in the industry. Of yeah, you need to be having you know one pound one gram per pound of body weight. That's right. in, unless you're like, and we'll talk about the upper and lower limits here. But that's for us mere mortals, that's not sustainable, nor should be the goal, in my opinion. Yeah. And I, I think you're highlighting um, what one of the main issues is with the interpretation of that point that we we oftentimes get um, like, you know, it's it's misquoted out there a lot. And it's because of that whole pound to kilogram conversion. So depending on where you actually heard it and what country you're in we tend to operate in pounds, but at the same time, a lot of this data was done and they report the results in kilograms. So if no one has a calculator with them, they're saying 1.6, but actually what they mean if I'm operating in pounds is what they mean is 0.7. So literally less than 50%. So, so we have what's happening when, when somebody conveys this information, they can be more than doubling what the actual requirement is. And that, that's a serious problem when I'm trying to perceive, like I'm trying to visualize myself within this this lifestyle. How am I going to do that? Especially how am I going to do that when I'm only eating 
one meal a day right now for fat loss results? Or how am I going to do that within, let's say, a four hour eating window? It's going to be tough for me to get in, you know, hundreds of grams of protein and, and this kind of thing. And I, I, I automatically start to paint myself into a corner where I go, no, that's not going to work for me. So it must not, this fasting thing must not be for me. So I, I need to go do it a different direction, which then what's the other, what's the opposite side? It's a lot of meal preps. It's four or five, six meals a day. And those are all insulin spikes. So even if you have a calorie deficit, you're spiking insulin after spiking insulin, and then you're leading to more fat storage. And that's a major problem. So I couldn't win in either one of those scenarios. And now I'm just, I'm frustrated. And I feel like I can't get this weight off no matter how hard I try. And one of the other things in this study too, is that a lot of these studies are done in young, healthy, you know, active participants completing pretty rigorous training programs, right? Where the protein yeah. demands would be higher, the energy demands would be higher. Mm -hmm. And then the other consideration too, is, you know, we're not talking about the growth hormone spike that takes place, you know, when you're getting into those, those fasting windows between 18 to 24 hours, all the way up to 30 hours, you're mm. going to see that growth hormone spike. Now growth hormone is not, is not catabolic, uh, excuse me, anabolic. It is not the stimulator of muscle protein synthesis, but it is lean muscle protective. Yeah. So if, you know, in here, in this study that we first referenced, they do mention that, Hey, we need to look at, you know, um, you know, I came across this post from Stronger by Science on Instagram, and it's just an incredible, it's all science-based account, and it's just great. But they did mention that, you know, um, you know, looking at protocols like the 5-2 protocol and ADF and things like that, yeah. they haven't been studied because most of these are done with the intermittent window in lean, healthy adults, right? Mm. But even at that, at that point, your protein requirement at that 1.6 or 0.7 grams per pound of body weight. So put that in a, in a calorie number and a macro number, Tommy, just to pr pretty much like kind of land the plane on what that really looks like in terms of your total caloric intake on that day. And then, um, your total protein intake or percentage of your macro breakdown, because really like when you start looking at these numbers, like, ah, oh, I need to eat protein. Well, no, the reality is that, that the timing of the protein isn't as important either. Like that whole, you have 30 minutes after your workout. We're going to unpack that here in a second too, and shed some light on the fact that that is not necessarily accurate. And that if you're at maintenance or you're close to maintenance, the ability to hit some of these numbers, generally speaking, and take some of that pressure off and getting two, uh, excuse me, exposures to protein rather than a certain time of the day, but that consistency from day to day right. and week to week is more important. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that can stop people in their tracks too, when they're, they're new to fasting and they're coming in, um, especially if they're working with a trainer or like their exercise goals are very important to them. Because, uh, if I'm, if I'm buying into this whole anabolic window, I need to get this, this protein in right after my workout, right? 30 minutes or 60 minutes or 90 minutes, whatever, um, it is that you're, you're trying to follow that can be tough to say, well, how am I going to be doing an intermittent fasting window? How do I do a longer fast if I need to burn some fat and get my protein shakes and all that. So when we, when we get to the example of the person trying to calculate these numbers and it's a 170 pound person and they're, they're, we're looking at 0.7 pounds, 0.7 grams per pound of body weight, we get to 119 grams of protein, which is 476 calories. And the cool thing here is if we have a 2000 calorie maintenance level diet, that's only a 25% macronutrient split for protein, even slightly less than protein than, than 25%. So that's very, very doable and sustainable. Which is low. 
right? You're going to be getting yeah. more than that. If you're eating that For many sure. calories and you're at that maintenance rate, right? So the question comes up is that that anabolic window or that timing component, right? And it suggests that it should be consumed in a certain window. The study that we're going to share on that is it's done in, in postmenopausal women and it's a full body resistance training program. So it's a very small subset, but it also speaks to this low end level, right? Whereas yeah. we get older, we don't need as much. We're not, our body's not in a, in an anabolic state as much, right? As we age. Yeah. So this is a study do, does protein timing matter Flavia B at all. And it shows that the, the main takeaway I should say, is that strength and total lean body mass increased in both groups with no significant differences. And what they were really doing is um, having 30 grams of protein and then later in the day having two installments of 30 grams of carbohydrates. And they were looking at whether or not the protein consumption had an overall effect on the body mass increase. So what was that total increase in body mass? And the groups uh, looking at pre-protein before meal and protein after meal. And mm -hmm. what they found was that the timing was really indescript. It didn't really matter. What matters is that you're getting consistent protein at these baseline numbers. And in this study, it was 1.8 grams per kilogram of body weight, which is 0.8 grams per pound, right? So again, yeah. not that much. And they still saw body mass increases, lean body mass increases in both groups in postmenopausal women, which hallelujah, like, man, <laughs> I don't need to be eating chicken breast and, and hard boiled eggs and right. seven cold salmon and white fish, right? 24, seven, shakes. eight times. Yeah. yeah. Eight times a day. <laughs> and no protein shakes needed either. Right. Um, yeah. No protein is, shakes. Yeah. Great point. That that's music to my ears. Uh, I wish I could have told myself that, you know, 20 years ago before I, I spent all the time and money and, you know, uh, all the time at at the supplement stores. But I, I think that speaks to the fact that when we go through an intense resistance workout and we're looking at actually growing our, our strength, growing our muscle mass, we're using a lot of the building blocks that we already have within our body. We are recycling our amino acids and our protein molecules that we already have. And that's going to make up 70% of what we're going to be building when we're building new building blocks of protein. So that that's the reason why we don't have to just bring in all new protein, all new amino acids, because our body doesn't want to get rid of those things. They're valuable resources. So we store them as we can, and then we recycle them at any given opportunity that we have. So we're bringing in 30% for that new muscular growth. And we just want to support that. And it doesn't take hundreds of chickens or chicken breasts and, and eggs and everything else to do that. Another, so just to give like kind of a reference frame, if you're new and you're fasting and you're hearing this stuff from the outside world, and this is where uh, the person in our group just needed a little bit of reassurance. something to, yeah, reassurance to stand mm -hmm. on that. No, what he, obviously what he did worked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's off a bunch of medications and his life's completely right. changed. And now he's like, yeah, I want to get fit. Right. Okay, cool. You know, fat loss and muscle building physiologically different, but very well um, uh, attenuated or very close, closely knit processes, yeah. intertwined processes, right? Yeah. So for just an overview on those protein uh, consumption numbers, we've just talked about the study that showed the 1.6 or the 0.7 grams per pound, the 1.8 gram per kilogram or the 0.8. There was a, a study, Morton et al. in 2018. So again, all of these studies are 18, 20, 21, right? New stuff that's coming out. Yeah. 
And this is like, how do I look at like, what should, should my protein intake be, right? Because protein facilitates recovery, supports hypertrophy, which is muscle building and the recovery enhances satiety, right? It helps with those cravings. And really, you know, industry standard is that 1.6 to about 2.2 grams per kilogram. But just a couple of, you know, things to think about is your protein intake may differ based on your composition goal, your exercise habits. If you're not exercising and you're just walking, you're, mm. you're good with the lower level. Like you don't have right. to stress, right? You're going to be getting it. Even if you just eat a couple of meals, you're just blindly going to be falling into it. Other things to take into account would be your body fat percentage and your energy balance. Are you in a surplus? Are you a deficit? So really looking at the lowest level possible, Tommy, is 1.25 grams per kilogram or 0.57 grams per pound. So if you give us a couple of like real life, life numbers on that, and then, because if I do, I know you already did it, but if I do math on the fly, I'm just going to butcher it and look silly and I'll have to like, <laughs> you know, go and podcast at her and be like, hey, can you cut out that from 18 minutes to 22 minutes? Because I sounded like a doofus. Um, <laughs> and then the high end is going to be 3.1 grams per kilogram or the 1.4 grams per pound of body weight. And so each one of those groups, so the 1.25, 1.25, or the 0.57 is, this is going to be of advisable intakes for whether if you're sedentary and don't really lift weights, your weight is stable. So you haven't been in a massive influx or, def, uh, or, or, um, your scale hasn't been going up or down and you have moderate to high body fat percentage, the higher BMI categories, overweight or obese, and mm-hmm. you prefer not to have to worry about intaking a lot of protein. The bottom level for you is 0.57. I'll have you give the number here in just a se- second, Tommy. And then the, well, actually, you know what? Let's unpack the low range first. So give me those real life numbers of what that would look like for someone that's sedentary, doesn't really lift weights. Maybe you're just walking your weights. You're not losing or gaining. You have moderate to high body fat percentage and you just don't really care about eating chicken all day. Right. Sure. Okay. So uh, if we did an example, like 170 pounds, and um, then that's going to put us right around hundred grams of protein per day. And uh, so that's going to be 400 calories. And if we were at like a maintenance, let's say a 2000 calorie per day um, diet, then that's that's a 20 percent macro split for protein. And uh, like that's that's definitely on the lower end. But it's nice to see that that's enough. Like that's sufficient, yeah. especially you can get 80 grams from a chicken breast and a half. Sure. Right. Like, yeah, getting to 100. Not not bad. So, yeah, um, if you're in the, the weight loss category, we'll talk about that in a second. If those other parameters are true, but you're really trying to you know go through more of an aggressive fat loss phase, you're using fasting, you're doing OMAD, um, yeah. you've increased your fasting windows, you're, you're seeing the scale move. That's OK. We'll tell you where we really want you here in just a second. The second, the high end group. Right. So highly active and lift weights substantial deficit, really trying to lean out is already very lean and prefers a higher protein intake. That range is the 3.1 grams per kilogram or the 1.4 grams per pound of body weight. So what do those numbers look like? Yeah. So that's about 246 grams of protein. So right around a thousand calories. And again, if, if we were talking about a 2000 calorie per day diet, um, that's about a 50% macro split for the protein. So again, like, so now we, we have established the range between 20% to 50% from the low to the high range. And, um, I, I think that, that that's, it's really, really good perspective. So wherever you fall, going back to the original preframe of this conversation today is really going to be focusing on the sustainability and what you like to do. 
So yeah. I know we talked about when we used to do these customized plans, Tommy, we did nearly a hundred of them or maybe even more. I try to black out and not remember that um, <laughs> because it, it was really daunting trying to customize this for people and getting their feedback and then them doing it and it falling off and the follow-up and the conversation. And it was like, okay, customized plans, customized fasting plans, customized meal plans, customized weight loss plans. Those That is not the direction we're going to take this if we are going to reach the masses, right? Yeah. Right. So where do you want to be? Honestly, anywhere between that 0.8 to one gram. Now we are talking about maintenance, your end goal calories. If you're talking, if you are a tracker or a calorie counter or a macro lover, you know, 0.8 to one. In, in, if you're in the sedentary, the highly active, and you you're wanting to lose weight and get to your goal weight, yeah. I think that's the best plan, and that is absolutely obtainable. So, again, we're the salmon swimming upstream. We're operating outside of the status quo. The great thing about this stuff, Tommy, was that these are real life questions. These are the things that were speed bumps for you and I and so many other people. Yeah. And the research now, because it's become more mainstream, is actually showing the benefit of being able to adopt a fasting lifestyle, but also achieve and then maintain a healthy body weight and body composition. Yeah, it's really, really nice to know reassuring. And again, I wish I had a time machine to go back and, and share this right. stuff with my former self. But unfortunately, I don't. But it, it's nice to know that as a good rule of thumb, I could just take my my healthy goal body weight, do that as as one gram per pound of body weight for my protein intake, if I'm kind of establishing those macronutrients, if I want to track it a little bit, um, or kind of dial in. And, and the other cool thing is to know that I don't have to get that within 30 or 60 minutes, or I, I don't have to perfectly time it with my workout before my either. meal, after my meal, after my yeah. workout before. Yeah, all of that, right? Yeah, I can I can simplify that part of the equation because the the body doesn't have a minute to minute memory. It's not thinking, oh, well, you just worked out 30 minutes ago or 60 minutes ago. This window is closing. No, 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 no. The the data shows the the complete opposite where we're looking at 24 to 48 to 72 hour like time frames as long as as long as zoomed out the moving average of our protein intake is sufficient over time, mm -hmm. then then we're good. We're we're in the right spot. And you don't have to be as concerned that you're not getting enough as long as you're eating real whole food, right? Yeah. As long as you're not eating out of the vending machine, you're going to be okay. Okay. Yeah. And you're probably not going to see results and feel any great eating out of the vending machine anyway. So you're probably already <laughs> past that point. Um, okay. So if you are new to fasting, you're new to this podcast, you go, I thought this was a fasting podcast, right? It is. But <laughs> this is the real life stuff that you encounter when you are trying to uh, uh, abide by the first two rules of fasting, which is don't talk about fasting. And don't talk about fasting. Now, our, our now our man in our group, John here, he can talk about fasting. He's right. he's there. He's he's climbing the mountaintop and he's living it. So, um, if you're new, go to the website thefastingforlife.com. You can download the Fast Start Guide: Six Simple Steps to Put One Meal a Day or uh, Fasting into Your Day to Day Life. And mm. then, if you're looking for a level up and you want to know more about insulin resistance, we have our insulin assessment, which is a subjective look at whether or not you may have you know, some signs of insulin resistance, which has not allowed you to take that weight off, Tommy, over the years, and you just keep getting stuck in the cycle. So as always, Tommy, a great conversation. Any final thoughts as we wrap up today? Yeah, I think I think just just take this information and and take a look at what you're doing, what you're eating and and how long your fasting intervals are. And, and just know that now you can go into your next workout, into your next meal with a higher level of confidence. And if you've been doing these things and you're getting enough protein and you're, you're working out, 
consider how long your fasts are. Go download the fast start guide and and start pushing it. If you're especially if you're in like an 18.6 or a 16.8 type of window right now, push it to the next step. Take the next uh, leap into one meal a day, and you'll you might see the scale start to move, and um, some new results are right around the corner. Yeah, absolutely. Spe- specifically, what you just said there, especially you've been at a plateau and you've yeah. just been kind of tired of it, a great place to start. So Tommy, as always, appreciate the conversation. Hopefully we hit the nail on the head with this one, but um, it was fun regardless, either way. Appreciate all of you listening. Um, and Tommy, we'll talk soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye. So you've heard today's episode and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day life. While you're there, download your free Fast Start Guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life.